0: This afternoon, brothers and sisters, we may open God's Word together in a couple of places in the writings of Paul. We we'll first turn together to Colossians chapter 3, where we read together the first 17 verses of that chapter. And then we'll turn back to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 through 58. Our first reading gives focus to the, the new life that uh, believers have, those who are united to Christ in both his death and resurrection. As his resurrection is, the focus this afternoon in the preaching. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, we give some attention, Paul rather gives attention to what believers today have to look forward to. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1. giving thanks to God the Father through him. We turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we begin reading in verse 50 and read to verse 58. And after we've read from this passage of scripture will sing in response Psalm 30, stances 1, 2, and 5. 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This afternoon I may proclaim to you the word of our God as the church has confessed it and summarized it in Lord's Day 17 of the... Heidelberg Catechism, you find that Lord's Day on page 531 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 17, where the church echoes God's word in this way. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First... By his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection, response to the preaching of God's word, we'll be singing together hymn 68, the first four stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, every Lord's Day again, the church gathers together making use of the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. This is the day Christ rose from the dead, and we truly believe that. And therefore, we worship the Lord indeed, not on the seventh day of the week, but on the first. The resurrection made this the day of the Lord. That is, it belongs to the Lord, and it's a day therefore set aside for worship of the Lord the question should maybe at some point for you be asked what is the lord's day like for those who call themselves christians but don't actually believe that christ rose physically from the dead there are those who say that the resurrection accounts never meant were never meant to be taken as historical the disciples never meant to claim that there was a real bodily resurrection Instead, it is said that Easter is really about Christ living on in his teachings. He lives on in the hearts and the minds of his people. What's the Lord's Day like for those? Well, on the one hand, Scripture makes it very clear. There is no salvation without believing the physical resurrection of Christ Romans 10 verse 9 is a case in point. Secondly, and probably more to the point for this afternoon, you're not in any kind of position then to speak of the joy of your salvation. If the historical Jesus has not been raised to life, then he's a failure. That is, he's not your Lord, and you are mistaken in your devotion to him really is, as the Apostle Paul says it earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, our preaching is useless, we are still caught up in our sins. But we know that that first Easter Sunday set the tone for every following first day of the week. That was a day of great joy for the Christian church that day our savior's heart pumped blood again his lungs filled up with oxygen once more he gave us much reason for joy on this day and every other day of our lives and that's what lord's day 17 is going to flesh out for us this afternoon so i may proclaim to you the word of god summarized in this way Christ's resurrection gives us much reason for joy. We consider three things. First, that our sins are forgiven. Secondly, our lives are renewed. Thirdly, our futures are certain. So in the first place, we give attention to the fact that our sins are forgiven by virtue of Christ's resurrection. Indeed, when we speak of Christ's resurrection, and particularly as the catechism does, the benefits that are rendered to the church, we need to start with the concept of our justification. So here, what that big word is really alerting us to is that there is a legal aspect to our salvation. We have to think of the courtroom setting. Justification is God's legal declaration in which he declares us not guilty on the basis of Christ's perfect sacrifice and perfectly righteous on the basis of Christ's obedience, Christ's righteousness. Romans 4 verse 25 says, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised to life. For our justification. Now that already, brothers and sisters, gives us two motivations for joy. One is, when we fell into sin, we became lawbreakers, guilty of breaking God's law. We stood before the judge as guilty. But we know that the judge delivered up Christ to death for our sins. That was to satisfy God's justice. Christ, by his sacrifice, made atonement for our sins. He reconciled us. He restored us to our God. His death at the cross obtained righteousness for us. Motivation, then, for joy. Because our curse, our guilt, our sins, all removed because Christ served the death sentence on our behalf. But even though Christ's death appeased God's wrath and judgment, there wasn't enough. More than just the cross was necessary for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The resurrection was needed as well. For without it, None of us would know what God thought of his son's sacrifice, and so we wouldn't really know where we stand with God. Christ would have obtained our righteousness for nothing. So, by Christ's resurrection, we get to see that the offering of his life was a sacrifice acceptable to God. Divine justice was satisfied. Punishment was over. The debt has been paid. And our sin has been atoned for. That's the second then, the second motivation for joy in Christ's resurrection. As Paul said, Christ was raised to life for our justification. With the resurrection we confess, he came to make us share in the righteousness that he had obtained for us by his death. So yes, Christ's resurrection was absolutely needed for our justification. It was needed to make us truly and certainly righteous before our God. Now there are several illustrations you could probably use to drive home the point. Here's one. Imagine you have Five brothers. One day, you and four of your brothers sneak out of the house and manage to get your hands on a bunch of fireworks. You come home and you start lighting them all in your front driveway. Meanwhile, your parents are inside the house, and very soon they are outside the house, and all five of you are in a lot of trouble. But then your oldest brother, The one who didn't go outside with you, but instead was studying inside. He comes outside. What does he do? He volunteers himself to be punished in your place. So your parents send him to his room, and they make clear to you that though you are all guilty and your brother's innocent, he's going to pay for your transgression and earn your forgiveness and your innocence by going to his room. Well, for as long as your brother is in his room, you still would probably have guilty feelings inside. You might probably feel that you're not really yet fully cleared of your crime. Until your big brother comes out of his room, you have this sense that the punishment is still being carried out. But once he is out, then you have some joy in you. Now you know for sure that your transgression has been paid for and your parents have nothing against you. That empty room is proof that your parents' justice has been satisfied. Your sin has been atoned for. Brothers and sisters, in an obviously infinitely more profound way, this is the joy we're speaking of that we derive from Christ's resurrection. He was delivered over to God by death, uh, rather delivered by God over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. His resurrection meant that his payment for our sins was enough. The resurrection proves Christ proved himself to his Father. God declared him righteous, and in so doing, declared all those who are united to Christ to be righteous. And so, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. Our justification is a gift. And Christ makes you and me share in that gift by first incorporating us into himself by faith. By faith we may now share in Christ's righteousness. So for whoever believes, God, as judge, grants him the complete forgiveness of his sins. God declares righteous the sinner who believes the gospel of Christ. Well, then that certainly gives us much reason for joy in Christ's resurrection. Our sins are forgiven And his resurrection is proof. This word is gospel for us. It addresses the sinner in his misery. And it presents him with the work of Christ. We have a living Savior. He, Son of God, became man and as man died for our sins. This is the promise of your God. Who wants you to believe then this truth. Christ rose to new life to show you he's overcome death and sin. God declares in the gospel of Christ's resurrection that he gifts perfect righteousness to his children. He gifts Christ's righteousness to all who believe in Christ. What joy that gives to us who celebrate that today especially. For what a difference this really makes in our life. It changes our outlook completely. Christ makes all things new for us by covering up, by dealing with our dark past. And this first benefit that we're speaking of is something that we end up cashing in on, not just once, but it's again and again. Whenever we flee to Christ with contrite hearts, by his spirit he reminds you remember that I arose for you I made you share in my righteousness your sins they are forgiven you have been declared righteous take joy in that Christ's resurrection brothers and sisters in other words transformed the church All at once, when his disciples recognized who they were really speaking with, their sorrow was replaced with joy. Their despair with hope. Christ has risen. Our redemption from hell is certain. And this faith in the risen one caused the early church to proclaim Christ. In fact, What did the early New Testament church preaching really center around? Uh, It wasn't simply the crucifixion, the cross of Christ. Crucifixion was not all that infrequent in that world. Rather, it was the resurrection of Christ that lay at the heart of New Testament preaching. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts for a few moments. The first place I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and following. We could, of course, spend some time in Paul's letters, walking through some passages, but this is really, of course, the New Testament preaching at its at its essence. So Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it's the day of Pentecost still. Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter is addressing those before him. He says in verse 22, here it is, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter mentions the death of Christ, because it's important, obviously. But he keeps going, because that's not the completion of the message of the gospel. He goes to speak of the essential character of the resurrection. Chapter 3, verse 15. We'll start at verse 14. Where again, Peter and John are now speaking, Peter rather, speaking here, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. It's talking about the Lamb of God who suffered, who died, but that's not everything. The publicity that the Bible gives to the resurrection in the New Testament surpasses even that of the, resur- of the crucifixion of Christ. One more, chapter 4, verse 10. Again, this is Peter speaking. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. we can keep going really throughout the book of acts and you're going to continue to find that in this book alone chapter 10 13 17 26 the point is christ's resurrection is central this is really the word of god that spread like wildfire it went viral It got people's attention Jesus Christ was victorious over death. Preaching in the church of Christ then is chiefly, predominantly, the proclamation of the victory of Christ. By the resurrection, sinners are reconciled to God. Sinners are justified before God, and our joy is abundant. This is the gospel the church has proclaimed. And also confesses in the first part of Lord's Day 17. Christ, the risen Lord, makes all the difference, all the change for our life before God's holy countenance. That takes us to our second point where we see that our lives are renewed. When we speak of Christ's resurrection, and the benefits that are there, as the Catechism does, that we speak not only of a change in, with respect to our legal standing, for as we know, the entrance of sin into the world also affected our condition before God. We became totally depraved. Our minds became polluted, our hearts hard, our wills, perverted god-centeredness was replaced with self-centeredness our death in paradise had far-reaching consequences both for the day of our death and for our daily motives and actions well then how joyful we can be then that christ's resurrection also changed all that In the second part of answer 45, we confess by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. The one who believes in Jesus Christ receives not only the fruit of Christ's sacrifice, forgiveness of sins, but he also receives Christ's spirit. That's what we're confessing here. We are in Christ meaning that we share in the anointing of Christ, the anointing he received from the Holy Spirit. And so with the apostle, every Christian can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me our risen Lord works in our hearts by his Spirit. The Spirit gives us a new life of fellowship with Christ. And yes, that means, congregation of the Lord, that we are never merely spectators of Christ's resurrection. His resurrection has enormous consequences for our daily life. We have become New people. And daily we are being raised up to a new life. Wherever the church proclaims the resurrection of Christ, there the gospel comes with power. Power to transform the lives of men. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, here it is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So yes, indeed, this calls for a certain lifestyle. As believers, you no longer walk in the ways of the world. Your desire is to walk in the ways of the Lord. We came across some of that in Colossians chapter 3. There Paul writes, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's words, you see, are saturated with the emphasis on the new life we have with Christ. Because He is your life. Do you understand how marvelous that is? When God, holy and almighty, looks upon you and me, He sees not only that you are righteous because of Christ, but that you are also holy because of Christ. That has to bring with it a whole different kind of heart orientation than those who don't believe. Our hearts are to be focused on heaven, not on earth. And what that practically looks like, Paul goes into in verses 5 and following. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Your new life in Christ means that you are no longer captivated by these things. Paul goes on and he adds to the list in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. If you have a new life in Christ... And let that holy identity and calling put a fire in your heart that you forsake the carnal pleasures of this earth in order to seek after the glorious, heavenly pleasure of serving Christ. And Paul spells that out as well in chapter 3 later. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And he keeps going. And what he's doing here is he is impressing upon us that Christ's resurrection not only affects your past Also, your daily existence. You have been raised with Christ, therefore, show it. What Paul is doing here is what he does so often in his letters. First, he speaks about what we often call the indicative of the gospel. He says, This is the reality. You were dead in your sins. And now you have been raised up with Christ to a new life. And then he follows that with what we call the imperative of the gospel the command, the therefore. Live in Christ. Brothers and sisters, it's a remarkable way of teaching because it's so simple. What Paul is doing here is he is leaving no room whatsoever for pat answers when it comes to our sinful conduct. For how often do we think and speak with regard to our sins? Look, nobody's perfect, and I certainly can't be. We live in a broken world. At least I don't do what that person does. We have our pat answers, our excuses, but what do all of those excuses imply about the resurrection of our Savior? What are we saying about his power? Have we not been raised up with Christ so that we can live in Christ and by his power? That resurrection happened some 2,000 years ago, but it gives new power today and every day for Christian Spirit-anointed obedience. As it is a process, it doesn't happen overnight. Those who are being raised to a new life, put to death whatever is earthly in them, for the works of darkness lose their appeal over time. We learn more and more to take joy in the power of the resurrection Because that and that alone is the power that enables you, empowers you to rid yourselves of anger, rage, slander, malice, inappropriate language. And to more and more replace those vices with virtues like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving grievances you may have against another. The proof of being raised with Christ lies in how you live toward God and the neighbor now. And proof of being raised with Christ also lies in the goal on which your eyes are set. The goal that gives you a joy that can never be extinguished so we come to our final point, where we consider that our futures are certain. The resurrected Lord also grants hope for the life to come. The future is bright. Oh yes, here on earth we will continue to struggle against the devil, the world, and our own flesh. We are in the struggle of faith, and it isn't easy. And yet Christ has risen, and he lives. He preserves those he bought with his life. He upholds our life, our faith, and gives us strength. He overcomes the enemy of the belie- in the life of the believer. And so we live in hope. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, (coughs) momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, he says, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Through the battle, through the struggle, hardships. Christ leads his soldiers to glory. The Catechism captures it well, catches well the significance of Christ's resurrection for our future, our glorification, when it says that his resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. The life with Christ, which begins here, is a life that no one or nothing can interrupt. For it's, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge. A pledge, you might know, is a promise. But actually, it's a bit more than that. A pledge is actually the start of a promise being fulfilled. An engagement ring is a pledge that from the man's side, he will marry his fiance. Christ's resurrection is a promise that for all who believe and thereby already start to experience all things new, all things will be made even more new, eternally new. It's what we read in 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when, not if, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The benefits of Christ's resurrection go well beyond our grave. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 11 if the spirit of him him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The benefits of Christ's resurrection is clear. Go even beyond the grave. From these passages, We hear the value the Lord gives to the body. We see that we are not meant to be with Christ only as soul and without the body. For when Christ makes us a new creation, he intends to finish the work he's begun. And that's going to include a new body. Our flesh will be raised incorruptible, indestructible. Or if we are still living, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The price for our sin has been paid, and so also our futures are certain. The new creation will come. By a true faith, we may know that a funeral of a believer is a sowing of the body as seed for the day of resurrection. And so we sow the body in hopeful expectation. We don't cremate the body, for that would not give testimony to the hope that is within us. We don't seek after the destruction of this body, but we sow it for the day of resurrection. Therefore, at a Christian funeral, it's so very fitting to speak of the joy of the resurrection. We may praise the Lord, sing to the Lord, because of Christ's resurrection. It's a sure pledge of our own glorious resurrection to come. And therefore, when you experience illness or have a terminal sickness, when you are reminded of the fragile state of this body and are faced with your own mortality, Or the mortality of a loved one in Christ, you need not despair. Rather, unlike the world, you may have confident joy. Believers will be raised, and we will be made like Christ's glorious body. For on the new Jerusalem, all will be perfect. There will be no more loss, no more bereavement, there will be no more handicap. Cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, no more tears, no more death. All remnants of sin, weakness, imperfection are going to be gone. The corruptible will take on the incorruptible, the mortal immortality. It will truly be a glorious resurrection. We will be raised to new life in the fullest and the most beautiful sense of the word. So, brothers and sisters, as you wait, march on today, in the joy of the newness of life, every Lord's Day again, you celebrate Christ's resurrection. That is what gives your life your weak focus Christ has restored peace between God and you, and there is nothing on earth that can undo that. The small beginning we as believers experience today will find its climax, its full blossom in the new world, in new and glorious bodies. Rejoice, he comes again. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.